Hi, Shannon Waller here, and welcome to a special episode of the Inside Strategic Coach Podcast with Dan Sullivan. Dan, we've been doing some reflections over the last 30 years and the next 30 years, and I want to talk today about the origin of certain key principles and concepts, and actually even the strategic coach name. So let's start there for fun. Where did the term strategic coach actually come from? This dates back to when I was a one-on-one coach, which happened between 1974 and 1989. So for the most part, I was just out there on my own, and I made house calls in those days. (laughs) You know, everybody comes from around the world now, and they go to one of our centers or one of the hotels that we use for our quarterly workshops, but in the old days, first 15 years, it was me going to people's businesses, sometimes their homes. I would take a whole day or a half a day, depending on the the agreement I had with the entrepreneur. Sometimes it included their family members, and sometimes it involved their team members, the actual organization that they had. And I remember I was coming in to see one of my long-time one-on-one clients. He had a visitor, and he said, I'd like to introduce Dan Sullivan. He's my coach. This is my strategic coach. Up until then, I was just known by the very, very catchy name, Dan Sullivan. <laughs> and he said, strategic coach. And I said, oh, I really like that. So <laughs> within weeks, I had this actually put in as something that could be trademarked. And I got it back, and we have the trademark for a strategic coach. I think it rang such a bell with me because strategy, if you really think about strategy, is about narrowing your vision. It's not expanding your vision. It's actually narrowing your vision. You're just looking for what you do best and who you do it best with. And then you're doing it for the best possible person so that they can create their best possible future. That's really what strategy is. It's ignoring everything except what produces the biggest results. You're doing it with someone who is a big results producer. And They've got a future that's going to be bigger than their past, and that's what I do. I'm very, very good at getting people just to focus on the 5% that really makes a difference and ignore the other 95%, (laughs) and I'm a coach. I do it by asking questions. I don't really do it by telling them, oh, you should do this, and you should do this, and research shows. The only research that I really am interested in and what's going on in the other person's mind, that if I ask them questions, things that could be conflicting or confusing in their mind or they're not clear about, all of a sudden, as a result of one of my questions, all of a sudden they say, oh, yeah, there's 10 things here, but if I just focus on this one thing, I really don't have to pay attention to the other nine. And I said, yeah. Focus on that for 90 days, and then we'll come back, and you'll see you've produced bigger results, and then there will be another big thing that you can focus on, and maybe three or four others during each 90-day period. So strategic coaches, I don't know, sometimes when you name something, you do everything possible to become (laughs) the name, and you know our understanding of strategic coach today has vastly more dimensions to it than it did when I first got the name, but it was good back then and it's good today. Well, I really like that, Dan, because it is about the 5%, and you have an incredible ability to really hone down on what is the most simple, effective 
strategy to mm-hmm. employ without getting caught up in some of the complexities and tactics. It's not about that. You always make sure that people are laser beam focused mm-hmm. through your questioning process on what is actually most essential, which frankly, until you're in a workshop, can be really hard mm-hmm. to see. You know, it's funny because where I work in the office is not that far from the workshop room. And I've attempted to sit down at my table in my office and do the exercises and it just doesn't work as well. It isn't until I'm in the workshop environment with you, with the other clients, and then my thinking shifts. Mm -hmm. And it's really that thinking shift Mm -hmm. that the program is all about. One of the quotes that you say a lot, and I've quoted you many times on this, is that a really good coach asks really good questions. Mm -hmm. You're known for your questions, and you come up with new ones every 90 days, which is a very powerful approach that you take. And that's what people keep coming back for. First of all, I would like to say two things about questions. One is that the human brain is constructed in such a way that it can't ignore a question. Mm -hmm. Now, a person may be asked something and they may refuse to answer, but they can't unthink the question. So there's something about questions that the brain, once you've heard a question, you can't ignore the question. The other thing is I only ask one kind of question. I only ask a question that I don't know an answer to. So when I ask somebody a question, I don't know what the answer is because the answer lies in their thinking. And I can get them to focus on the part of thinking where the answer is, but I myself don't know what the answer is. So I always tell people, never ask a question of a entrepreneur that you want them to give you a certain kind of answer. One is I think it's a worthless activity, okay, because the other person isn't going to learn anything from it. But the other thing is that you're only useful, what I'm saying about myself here or any of our other associate coaches, we're only useful to the point that we know that certain types of questions will allow people to actually do their best thinking, but what they think about as a result of your question cannot be known until they actually do their thinking. Uh Yeah. Well, that's so interesting because it kind of flips on the head. It's the opposite of law training. (laughs) No, I mean, in a courtroom, a lawyer is told from the first day of law school, never ask a question unless you have the answer. Do not ask a question that you don't know the answer to, you know. And so it's just the opposite of the legal training. And I find so many people, it's called rhetorical questions, Mm -hmm. where they try to control an individual or a group or an entire auditorium by asking questions that the person already knows. And you feel manipulated as the person being asked the question. You always feel resentful and manipulated when somebody does that. But where it's an open-ended question where... The only proper answer is the answer that the person actually creates for themselves. So that's, I would say that that is a fundamental philosophical commitment. I will never ask you a question that I know the answer to. Which is profound because it's the opposite, as you mentioned, of manipulation. But also, it's not about ego. It's not about prior knowledge and how well have you studied something. It's not a test. And it's not about me. And it's not about you. Yes. And automatically that leads to a conversation. Mm -hmm. So coaching for you is not separate from a conversation, Mm -hmm. which is another key Mm -hmm. aspect of coach, which I think is fairly critical for people to know and to appreciate about that. Oh, Dan, we could talk about that forever. But there's a couple other things that I want to touch on. I would love to know and for other people to know where free days came from. And we have an entrepreneurial time system of free days, focus days, and buffer days. But free days is something that where Babs had 
a pretty substantial contribution. Babs, your mm-hmm. wife and business partner. So talk about that. How did Free Days happen in the coach system? Well, first of all, Babs and I, Bab Smith, who's been my partner in life and my partner in business since the 1980s, she grew up in a family where taking vacations and taking free days was a normal part of life. And I grew up in a family where vacations and free days weren't a part of life. As a matter of fact, in my first 18 years at home, I can remember only one family vacation, and it was so unpleasant. (laughs) And I grew up with a lot of siblings, so that I remember we went to Florida, and I think that there were eight of us in a car, and it was very, very unpleasant. And I think... Without talking about it, we all vowed we would never do that again. So I was a workaholic. My dad was a workaholic. Probably from the time he was six years old, there's almost never a day when my dad didn't work. And I just thought, well, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you work all the time. And growing up on a farm. Growing up on a farm. And then, you know, in your early entrepreneurial days, you have to substitute working time for actual skill. Mm-hmm. You know, you just have to put in long hours to make up for the fact that you don't know fast solutions. Right. You know, I call that the brute force method. It is. It's the jackhammer approach to being an entrepreneur. Then I met Babs, and what I noticed right off the bat, she wasn't available all the time because she was taking vacations on her own. And she would go here and she would go there. And then when we really connected and we were living together, and she said, well, we're going to go away. And I says, man, I says, I've got so much to do. You know, you go off, we'll phone. And she says, well, I'm going to make it real simple for you. She said, you're going to take free days with me when we take free days or we're not going to have a relationship. And I had been through a divorce before this. You know, I call it a practice marriage, but she really laid it out for me. She says, it's life with me for the rest of your life, but you have to take free days because you're no better when you work all the time. If you took a week off, two weeks, and actually the first time we went off, we took, I think it was seven or eight days. The fingernails were still on the floor as I got dragged out to the car, and I groused about it. And it was to Cape Cod, actually, which became a key feature in our relationship over the next 30 years. I was there, you know, the first two days, and it poured, and it was terrible, and it was windy. And then, you know, as Cape Cod can be, it just got gloriously sunny. About the third day in, I said, oh, this is really neat. This is really neat. And I had brought work to do, and I didn't do any of the work. It was an instant conversion. I began to see that this is really crucial. And this is about five or six years before we actually created the program. So right from the beginning, we build in planning for free days because if I was a workaholic, the vast majority of the entrepreneurial clients were workaholics. And They had worked themselves into a wall that they couldn't progress, they couldn't grow, they couldn't get more skillful, they couldn't have better opportunities, they couldn't have better client and customer relationships, they couldn't attract better team members. And I saw that free days was the crucial thing for entrepreneurial growth. And our first great, great marketing message to the marketplace We'll get you to double the number of free days that you take, and in doing that, we'll double your income. And it was so contrarian. You know, Mm -hmm. you were saying, well, 
this is how nature works. The rain goes back up into the clouds. You know, <laughs> waterfalls go back up. You know, they climb, they don't fall. And then we really, really began to see that this was crucial. And what happened is that enormous balance came into people's lives. And there wasn't this stress that was taking place between what they were doing when they were working, and they thought, you know, I'm not being fair to my spouse and to my children. And then when they were with their spouse and children, they were saying, you know, I'm not getting the work done. And suddenly this free day concept became really the first great strategy that went around the world because it was so against all the entrepreneurial advice people have yeah. If you're not doing 80-hour weeks, you're not serious about being an entrepreneur. I mean, Harvard Business School, all the big business schools is the same thing because so many corporate executives, they have no free life. And, you know, anybody who's doing anything where there's a lot of people depending upon them, they work, 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 work. And I said, no, no, you got to have this whole part of your life where it's just completely free. And then you develop as an individual so that happened simply because it was the fork in the road in my own relationship with Babs. I said, I'll change myself whatever way I have to change just so that I can spend the rest of my life with Babs. And I have to tell you, that's making it very dramatic, but the entrepreneurs who don't stay in the program, this is the number one stumbling block. Uh -huh. They can't take free days. And they never achieve a self-managing company either. Mm -mm. So it really is the foundational idea to actually start creating a smarter company, you know, self-managing one, a better life. People don't end up on their third marriage. You know, it really is a game changer. Yeah. And I would say the whole thing about, you mentioned team members. I would say on average, if you go across the countries, the three countries that we're in, we give easily 20, 25% more free time for our team members than any other place of work. Uh -huh. yeah, And they don't get burned out as a result of that. I think that's the key point. And people have much longer futures when they're mm -hmm. not exhausted mm -hmm. or cranky or any of the other things that keep those great relationships. They come up with better, new, more original ideas. They can keep pace with technology much more easily. There's so much resting on a rejuvenated creative brain and human rather than just being an exhausted, tired one. Yeah, and I think that people who are under a great deal of stress and they're fatigued become very quarrelsome. Mm. You know, they don't cooperate well. They don't create together very, very well. I have a line, which I've been saying this line. I try not to do this, but it's too tempting. And I say, how many of you in the audience, I did this last week in London, and I said, how many of you notice that when you get fatigued, everybody else gets stupid? I said, how do the stupid people know to show up on the day that you're tired? You know, how does that actually work? You know, And it always gets a big laugh. And I said it too last week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's some oldies and goodies you just stay with. It's a wasted opportunity if you don't give them the punchline. Well, it's really all about you, not them. Yeah. Dan, there's one other concept that I want to touch on the origin of, and that is really about unique ability teamwork, because I think what a lot of people don't know is that many moons ago, you would fly out to Calgary at Edmonton by yourself mm -hmm. and run the entire workshop. Can you share that experience with us? And then also, fortunately, what shifted after not too long so that you didn't have to do it by yourself anymore? Well, we started my coaching and we started the Strategic Coach Workshop Program in Toronto. 
So our first notions of expanding outside of Toronto, we went west, and there were three cities. We started in Calgary, and then we went to Edmonton in Alberta, and then we went to Vancouver. The interesting thing about this, Babs would always go with me when it was Vancouver, mm-hmm. but she wouldn't go with me when it was Calgary and Edmonton, especially not Calgary and Edmonton in the cold weather, which, except for July, could be any time. So in the early days, I would go by myself. Now, if anyone have seen the team that comes with me wherever I go, you know, I was in London last week, and I think we had, including the UK staff, I think we had nine people, you know, that were actually making sure that Dan just had to do what he did. But in the early days, I would go out and, you know, I'd have to do the setup. I would have to do everything related to preparing for a workshop, actually doing the workshop, doing the after the workshop work. Collecting the payments. Collecting the payments. Packing up the boxes. Phoning back who was there, who wasn't there. And then I would do the renewals and I would renew into the next year. And I did that all myself. And So I adapted the simplest, fastest, easiest way to do that. And so consequently, this is, I'm talking probably early 90s. Now, you know, I come with a full team, but I never ask the team members really to do much that we haven't agreed on before the workshop's over. And I think it it actually just reflects back to when I had to do everything myself. So the one thing is that once the workshop starts, you can't change the game. And so for the most part, when I coach a workshop, once we've agreed as a team that this is going to be the workshop, I don't change anything during the day, except maybe a tool that we can readily get from inventory and bring into the room. But generally speaking, I kind of keep things the same. And I think it was because I was a one-man company Literally. on my road trips, and I, I learned just how simple, simple can actually be. I love that. And for those of us that have worked with you a long time, I remember when you would fly out West and by yourself, and you'd call it in. I have to tell you, I used to go on marketing trips by myself. And the one great breakthrough, and this harkens back, I told this story in a previous podcast, but we had a lot of financial advisors, especially life insurance, really top notch, world class life insurance agents. And I was, after the program had started, I was invited as a speaker. And I went to, I think it was Amelia Island, which is right at the border of Georgia and Florida. And I went there. And you were a salesperson at that time, I remember. (laughs) But I went on my own, and I spoke on two days. I got 31 registrations for the program. I remember 31, because it was a brand-new special program we were creating. We usually didn't do dedicated groups, but I just decided with this one opportunity we would have a dedicated workshop and we had 31 people. So I got back on the Monday and went to the office, which we then had. You and Susan Aldridge, who was there at that time, and they said, how'd you do? And I said, oh yeah, it was pretty good. So I had this briefcase and I had the 30, and I said, okay, look at this, one, two, three. <laughs> and by the time I got to 10, they said, how many did you get? And I said, well, I might as well give you the other 21 I got. <laughs> and I think it's still one of the biggest sales days in the history, right. you know, where uh, I did it. And I had to check that all the credit cards, you know, and credit cards, I mean, some people wrote checks and for it, everything. So this was in the early days. But I remember I came back and 
I had phoned Babs, but she didn't know the full story till I got back. And I said, I got 31 registrations. And she gave me a big hug, and she said, you're my hero. I said, that's reward enough. <laughs> and I remember you were all really we were excited. very excited. That yeah. was an incredible result. Yeah. Well, and it's neat because, and one of the things that Babs has always done is look at how to free you up. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't too much longer before she kept adding people to the team. And it's true, you're not high maintenance. I mean, Mm -hmm. you do have an appreciation for what it takes. And everyone has their designated role to help create. It's not even just about Dan. It's actually just to make sure that the experience for everyone is the best it can possibly be. And then everyone does what they're there to do. It's not ego. It's all about the clients. It's all about them. And it's quite a joy to work Mm. in that environment. And one of the things that I've enormously appreciated throughout my life was luxury hotels, because it really wasn't part of my growing up experience. But as soon as I had money, I started staying, you know, in my 20s and my 30s, that whenever I could afford it, I stayed at a top-notch hotel. Mm -hmm. One of the best, you know, in the world actually started right here in Toronto, and that's the Four Seasons Hotel. And I used to go and stay at a Four Seasons, and it was like going to a conference or a workshop because I would just watch how the Four Seasons as an organization and their team members, how they really made things great for all the guests there. And I said... You know, as we developed a workshop program, we have to treat all of our entrepreneurial clients who come to Strategic Coach as if they were staying at a five-star hotel. The food, how they're taken care of, the individual attention they get and everything else. I never started with a how do other workshops operate, how do other people's programs work. I never started with that model. I always started, how are people treated when they go to a luxury hotel? And then wherever we can, we build in that quality of hospitality and that individualization that you really take care of people like the guests at a really luxury hotel. Mm-hmm. And Dan, I love that you've drawn your inspiration not from management companies, not from business, but you've actually drawn it from sports and entertainment and great hoteliers and the experience economy, if you want to call it that. And that, I think, really has set the bar really Mm -hmm. high. It's kind of funny that you talk about the office because as I was walking around shutting down the other night, I actually thought, gosh, our office is so beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I took pictures of the bookshelves and our, you know, cartoons on the wall and the plant wall that we have with our great signage. And I posted it on Facebook saying, I just love our office. It's such a phenomenal environment to be in because I was just appreciating what a unique space it is. And backstage is not that different than front stage. It's Mm -hmm. not like the front's gorgeous and the back is trash. It's not that Mm -hmm. at all. We've got beautiful working spaces. I love that it's a unique compilation of all the things that you find are really important. Well, the other thing is packaging, that you have a look to you and you stay with the look. You know, I was in advertising before I launched out into my coaching career, and I was always so impressed that you establish a look and you stay with the look. You know, and some of the greatest companies in the world, if you go back a hundred years, the look they had a century ago is still very, very clear. Coca-Cola being one of the Mm -hmm. great packagers in the world. 
But one of the companies that was just getting started when I started coaching was Starbucks. And mm-hmm. Starbucks were just right from the beginning were great packagers. And I used to go and spend an hour or two in Starbucks and look at all their cups and look at, you know, how the stores were actually designed and they were consistent. You know, you could always tell a Starbucks. So one of the things that gives people a sense of confidence and gives them a sense of certainty about the experience they're going to have is that there's a great consistency and it looks like it's been thought through. The other Mm -hmm. thing is that the colors we use on our materials, the typefaces, the kind of design that we have. If you go back to the early 90s, you could tell it was coach stuff then and it's coach stuff now. And our clients really, really comment on that. You know, it's not haphazard. There's some very, very central rules, and we keep refining them. One is the technology for packaging has just exploded. But you could go crazy with different types of <laughs> techniques, you know. It's when people first discovered typefaces. In one page, they have 10 different typefaces, which yeah. was, like, impossible to Or read. they do dark type on a dark background or <laughs> white type on a light oh. background. And it drives me. I say, oh, gee, that, that makes me feel nauseous. <laughs> You know, I'm a trained artist, so I had an art background, a commercial art, not fine arts, but commercial art. We used to have an artist who always gave us grief about the fact we always use the same typeface, and that's the most used typeface in the world. It's called Helvetica. Helvetica is just the greatest typeface that's ever been created on the planet. And she said, well, you know, Everybody uses Helvetica. And I said, I wonder why that is. I said, why is it that everybody uses Helvetica? Why is it that it's the most famous typeface in the world? Why is it that it looks new 30 years later? You know, it looks clean and new. She says, well, I mean, why don't we put some variety? I says, variety confuses when it comes to design. I Uh says, we do not want to confuse. We want to give clarity and confidence, and it has to be in our design. So that's the origin. I mean, I did Uh have the theater background. I have a advertising background. So I had a real feel for how you present yourself and get it right in the first place, and then you never have to change. Mm-hmm. Well, that's fascinating. And so, Dan, thank you for sharing the beginnings of so much of what is true about Coach. Someone may think if they just joined us that it's you know new, but actually the thinking and the intentionality has been there since day one. Mm-hmm. So I love hearing this and you sharing that information. Thank you. Thank you. At Strategic Coach, we focus on growth in every area of your business and life, leading to freedom that entrepreneurs dream of. Join Dan Sullivan, founder of Strategic Coach, for a brand new on-demand web presentation. It's a breakthrough hour of wisdom, insight, and proven strategies. Over 18,000 entrepreneurs can't be wrong. Watch today at danwebinar.com.